I didn't have a, a support system, you know, uh, that was making me feel safe, to be honest, you know. I had to craft and create that safe, safe environment. And every single day I would wake up and be like, today we choose joy. And I would take a picture of me smiling, not being happy because my eyes were crying. Like I was not crying necessarily, but my eyes were sad. My eyes were tired. Choose that. You know what to focus on. And again, in terms of energy, if I go back to what I mentioned before, in terms of energy, you don't waste a lot of very valuable energy on things you can't control as much. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Today I have I have the pleasure of, of talking to someone who always makes me laugh and brings me so much joy in the conversations that we have. I have the founder of High 15. She's someone who been in the game for about what 18 years and in that time she's worked with over 80 brands such as people like Gymshark, LVMH Group, Nestle, Ralph Lauren. She is known as someone who just does everything with passion, honesty, empathy and, and joy and she's an inclusion and London expert, consultant, strategist that helps both big business, small business, startups, charities, you name it. She gets involved. Um, she can come in and do what needs to be done and you give her the space to do it. She would do a great job. I have Vanessa Belly in the house. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Such a nice introduction. <laughs> Such a nice introduction. I'll just correct on one thing. My name is Vanessa Bello. And I think because I'm French, yes. To be honest, I'm not that bothered anymore. I'm 39 years of age. But before, when I came to London 17 years ago, oh my God, I was really bothered because people would co-manning so many things and that's the only identity I had just sort of me because I didn't have a name in this country so my name is Anissa Bello like yellow but with a B Poop. and it means beautiful water see that's even more reason for me to get that right the, so for me it's, it's important <laughs> yeah. you know you don't want to you don't want to miss the meaning behind it we're going to call you something else that's not what you that's not what your main name actually means so it is it is important exactly. it is important I definitely recognize that I mean look, look at my it name is. so I, I know I know what it's like when people mess your name, you're like, yeah, you're thinking, seriously? Like, come on, man. Come on, you know? So. No, but I give you a pass because it's Bellu, like Bello, E-A-U, is not a sound that you have in English, you know? In French, when people see E-A-U, they know it's O. But in England, in English, it's not like that. So I give a pass, you know? It's so good. And I don't like correcting people about my name. I think as a DNA consultant, it's part of the practice, actually, of inclusion. And I always say, you have to include yourself also. Do you see what I mean? It's not only down to other people, but I am not only a DNA consultant. I'm also a brand consultant and an accredited executive coach. Boom! This, this is the energy I'm talking about. Talk your talk. Okay, okay, okay. You tell me, you tell me, you tell me. That's what I'm talking about. I say this and we'll talk about it potentially in this conversation, but I think if I'm a multi-panic a multifaceted individual and I like the fact that I can do quite a lot of things without people having to put me in a box. 
I find that quite endearing. I find that quite motivating. And I get bored very easily. So if I was only a dinner consultant, I think, and maybe this is a big statement, but I would uh, have committed suicide because it's hard. It's very difficult. So at least doing different things gets me to keep my joy. You see what I mean? And, uh, and applying. And why not? When you have so much greatness, why not apply to different things? But I think people actually get scared of that, though, because you're told consistently, focus on one thing, focus on one particular area, niche down, all of that. So when people start to think, oh, well, um, I can do this and do that and do that, I'm not known for one thing. And that can scare people from exploring their greatness and bringing those different gifts. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But this is the thing. I'm a voluptuous, curvy woman. And I've been told from day one that, because I was a voluptuous, curvy baby as well. And I think I've been told from day one that why I think limit yourself. And I was born with 12 fingers. So this idea of abundance is something that is within me. So in the Caribbean, and I don't know if people know that, but yet some people are in the world, I guess some people are born with 12 fingers. And my mom discovered that my dad was born with 12 fingers when I was born with 12 fingers because he never told her and basically got his, he got his cut up. So you could, it's not obvious, you know, it was not obvious on him. And so. When the, but this idea of abundance is something that I think my parents really instilled in me from young. So when the surgeon came to my mom and said, you have a beautiful daughter, but she has um, a few extra bits. And my mom was like, okay, what do you mean? And, she, and he said, she has two extra fingers. The answer of my mom was, well, better 12 than eight. <laughs> right? So <laughs> why she is white though? I mean, she's not right, but. You know, in the Caribbean culture, I think when you talk about physical, maybe deformity, you know, which it was, the idea that you can remove something to meet the idea of what normal is, is very appealing to Caribbean parents or to some cultures. So she didn't see that as a problem because she was just like, well, we will deal with it if we need to. It was not an imperative. This is what I liked about her. She took her time to remove, to get uh, the two removed, the two extra fingers removed. But, and I got bullied by my sister, my older sister, who, when I say bullied, she didn't know what those things were. So she kept pulling on them, you know? And then when my mom really noticed the behavior, she was like, this girl's made to get bullied in school. Let's us deal with it. So that's how I then had 10 fingers. But then the universe does things very, very right, I think. One of my uh, fingers grew back. So because this is a video as well. So you can tell a little thing here. And these have got nerves and everything. And I always have a ring of different colors just so that it's a bit, I guess it's a bit my protection, but it's also my, oh, I'm a bit different than you don't know it. Do you see what I mean? And I've got, it's my reminder of my difference and my idea of abundance. That just makes sense. And for me, that's, it's an amazing and such an important actually reframing or looking at it because there are times when we are different. And rather than leaning into our differences and embracing our differences, we can be like, oh, this sets us apart. And that can make us feel like, oh, we're not good enough. We're not the same people, blah, 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 blah. But actually, when you say to like, no, for me, it's abundance. Like, I've got, I've got, I had an extra two and I've got an extra one and it's there. And I, and I am celebrating that your mom helped you to think about that in such a different way. I think it's so important. And especially when I think about the way that you show up, you show up with like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm unashamed, unapologetic, I'm here. That for me goes back into some of some of the way of you looking at things in that with that different lens. Yes, and I think to be honest, also, I don't have a choice or 
at least when I started practicing fully showing up as my full self. And as a general consultant, and don't talk about the full self piece, I talk much more about the authentic, but personality wise, I will talk about the full self because I really show when it comes to my personality, I really show my full self because any sort of full self, I think I showcase my full power. And I think there's a difference between showing up in your full self or authentic self and then actually showing up in your full power. I didn't have a choice. When I came to this country 17 years ago, I was alone. I didn't have a, a support system, you know, uh, that was making me feel safe, to be honest. You know, I had to craft and create that safe, safe environment. And I've had to practice that, you know, coming out of my own shelf, a bit, making myself feel a little bit uncomfortable, but seeing also being uncomfortable as growth in order for me to be what's meant to be. And I never have an idea of what's meant to be. I just trust in the universe, you know, that my path is being led by a bigger force. I'm not religious, but I really believe in the universe. And I think I just, I, as I say, I don't have a choice. I feel it in my guts. And I love myself too much for me to compromise my feelings. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, I believe, and I read this a long time ago, 99% of illnesses come from stress. And I think that me not being able to listen to my guts, or when I say gut, the voice that you have internally that tells you maybe there's something for us to do here. Not following that, not listening to that, for me would create a lot of stress. And therefore I would be ill and I'm a bit of an hypochondriac. So... You know, for my mental health, my physical health, I do show up. Have you always been able to hear that voice? I mean, if I go back into a younger, a younger you growing up in Paris, did you hear that voice from a very young age and were you able to follow that then? Or is that something that's come about over the years for you? I think that's a very interesting question. I, I truly believe that it's always been there only because I'm a middle child and those who are middle children will understand what I mean. I feel that with that comes a lot of experience, maybe of otherness, of spending a lot of time by yourself. Sometimes me being misunderstood potentially of your need. Uh, you think that you got it all because you're the last one and then the parents, you know, poop another child and you're thinking, oh shit. I, lo I don't know if I can swear, but you know, I, or, you know, shoot, I lost my position. Do you see what I mean? No, but it's true though. And I think going through that is, is massive, I think, because, you know, the first child keeps their status. The second child, when you've got a third child coming, you lose yourself somewhat. You lose your position. You don't know who you are anymore. And parents are not great, especially in Caribbean culture, to manage that. And I think therefore, so my younger sister is five years younger. And I think that I had to learn very early on. Okay, me, myself and I, we're going to have great conversations. Do you see what I mean? Like if I would be by myself, I, I understood very, and it's very interesting because when I was in France, I couldn't put words to it. But when I discovered the English language, then I was like, oh my God, yes. You know that thing when you say you can be alone, but not lonely. I think that was the piece, you know, that for me, I was like, that's what I've experienced, being alone. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, and seeking also being alone, but not being lonely, which I thought was really interesting. And when I said me, myself, and I, that was that inner voice, you know, me talking to my different voice, you know, like the angel and also the little demon. And myself, you know, like really having those this tension and discovering kind of what is it that I wanted to do. And I've been very blessed also. I think my parents, even though they didn't know how to deal with the middle child, I think the way their way was to allow me to experience things 
you know, and to follow that voice in a way. And that would have the random idea, random ideas that they'll just be like, yeah, okay, why not? We trust you. And that element of trust that created safety for me came from my parents. So I'm very grateful, really grateful. This is, I guess I would put it as that I was allowed to listen to that voice, you know, which I think some people are not, but that was not my case. I don't think that makes any no, sense. No, it does. It does That's actually it. make sense because for me, it goes back into that piece around the first environment that you're going to have that you normally should feel safe in to be able to explore yourself is home. And I say normally because I know that's not the case for every, everyone, but your parents giving you that space to be like, no, like explore that leading to that feed, that curiosity is really, really important because that's where you first learn. But then the next environment becomes your, your schooling and your, and your friendship groups which, as we all know, is not always the safest place to learn. And there are certain things that you should, you should not be learning in those spaces, but are part and parcel. So that's the foundation piece, is that home piece first, and then you start to build on that. Yeah, and I enjoyed school, very much so. Because for me, school was also an escape. I was very good in school, very, very good, always first of class. And I had my mom again. My mom was very um, involved, actually, in our schooling. From a young age, our parents told us, you know, you are black women in this world, you know, that's not meant for you. And they knew that because they moved from their Caribbean islands to Paris. And they saw, we treated a bit differently here. You know, this is a different sea almost. They told us that very early on to say, you better show up in school. You better make your voice heard as well. That's another thing. Raise that hand. <laughs> you know, if you don't answer, you know, build that confidence, raise that hand and tell people that you know don't keep quiet, you see what I mean? I took that too literally. I was always on my school cards. I was always like, Vanessa is too, you know, talks too much and blah, blah. I was always putting the bottom at the, at the back of the of the, of the the room. But I was still first in, in class. So that was really good. I even jumped a class, you know, because I was I was so nosy. Like, my, as I said, my curiosity, a lot of the things that I still practice and define me today, yeah, indeed, I've learned, you know, thanks to my parents' education, you know, like what they allowed me to do and when they trusted me with, which uh, I'm very grateful. I'm very, very grateful. Without them, I don't think I would be where I am. Simply. Just simply. Your mom's from Guadeloupe and your dad's from Martinique. Yeah. Yes. Good memory. Yes. Two tiny dots, two tiny islands, two tiny dots. And uh, it was not easy for them, I guess, because they came, my mom came by herself to Paris completely by herself and she had to learn a lot of codes. My mom has a lot of privilege though when it comes to colorism for those who know. She's a mixed race and she she's very, very light in, in complexion. And uh, so she had a lot of passes, you know, a lot of passes, which she didn't realize necessarily, but she did. And then my dad came also. My, my mom is the first of the children, of four children. My dad is the last of six. So they both had very different, yeah, they both had very different lives experiences of life uh, my mom had to and you can see like the difference as well my mom she's a go-getter gosh she has an idea and she just goes she's like a bulldozer she goes for it because she didn't have anybody showing her the way she had to figure it out when my dad is a much more i think calm quiet collected individual he's favorite with word he's got two pragmatic and pragmatism and diplomacy those are the two favorite words and i remember him telling me that so many times when i was growing up like 
practice. You know, you have to be diplomatic and pragmatic. When my mom was just like, listen, you do you, boo boo, let's go. So that tension also was quite interesting for me as a child. But yeah, no, it's beautiful actually to reminisce and see. You know, even though I came to this country, which is interesting, even though I came to this country alone, I didn't feel lonely. So I guess that was back to my teachings, you know what I mean? Like my experiences, because I didn't feel lonely. I just like, okay, for me, this was the world of opportunities, only opportunities. So would you take off? Because I'm a foreigner. Would you take off today, your mom and your dad? Because it sounds like you've... Okay. Both. Both. I tell my parents I'm that child. I say, first, I'm the most beautiful child, I tell them. I said, because I look and I have a rationale, I tell them, I look like both of you. So that means that, you know, you think that, and my parents, they think they're the shit that come, they're good, they're good looking. So I'm like, no, that means that, you know, I look the most like you, like both of you, that means I'm the most beautiful child, number one. <laughs> and two, I really believe that my mom, she's just always like, I can't with you, I mean, you can't. Uh, but I guess, you know, because I've not lived in Paris, you know, I need attention, do you know what I mean? So that's my way of sometimes getting some attention from them. But anyway, when I was younger, I was more of a bulldozer. And then as I grew older, as much more time, I got divorced when I was 19. I was in the business school at the time and I spent a lot of time on the phone with my dad. And I rediscovered my dad at that point because it was, my dad is my, I call him my guru dad in my life. You see what I mean? Like he's my best friend in my, he knows everything that's going on in my life. And we, since the age of 19, so that's 20 years because I'm 39, it's been, um, I've had a lot of ease influence in my life when it comes to money management, when it comes to relationship building, all of those things. So this is why I say that I've got both, you know, and I can, you know, I guess tune in to either one, you know, more, or actually have them both equally, which I enjoy a lot. And again, I'm grateful. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. So with that mixture of both those personalities of the the go-getter but being able to reflect when you came to the uk in fact what was your rationale behind moving from from paris to the uk because people think like wow like it's paris like it's the land of opportunities there's a lot of businesses there you're doing amazing you, you've got multiple degrees like you should be thriving and great why would you want to come to the uk like that's that's an easy assumption to kind of make it's an easy assumption to kind of make, and this is one that I always tell people, no, let's sit down and let's talk. I think for me and Francis, like this, France is very behind when it comes to, and I say to accepting black excellence, right? To accepting, accept, to accepting excellence coming from a non-white or not purely white, I guess, white family environment. And I knew that from day one, but I think as you grow older, you kind of feel that things will change. But for me, they didn't change fast enough. And I needed, I think, to feel free. That The, the voice again told me when, uh, when I was 19, so I went to a business school and I was able to, uh, I was able to study in Berlin for eight months. We're talking 2004. And when I did that, I went there and I experienced so much freedom in the sense of, oh, okay, I, I could speak German. I was... I was obviously accepted there, but I could discover a different culture. 
Then I was there, I came to London for a week for a friend's birthday who was with me in Germany. And I just felt free. I saw black people with natural hair, dreadlocks, just being and looking as though they were going, they had, they had important jobs. They were not like low, you know, I don't know, low lives, you know, on the streets and things like this. And I say low lives, not because this is what I think, but I think the society plays you, you know, like, a, I don't know, you've got some type of stereotypes. And my stereotypes were very strong uh, when I came to the UK. And now a lot of things have changed. Of course, I'm a general consultant. I work actually with uh, charities when it comes to homelessness. So I understand that, listen, you don't have to be alone like to be on the street. Do you see what I mean? But at the time, that's what I thought. And also that's what gets instilled in your mind from your parents because they don't want that for you. So they create some pictures that get you scared of that. And I just discovered that feeling of, oh my God, I had this thing of, I just thought I can be myself here. I can be myself because there's something that I understood very early on. And I understood this in Germany, but then I understood it even stronger, I think, in the UK. In France, in that order, I am a black. At the time, I was a black young woman. And I say it this way because this is the order of the marginalization of discrimination that when I counter. Third, because I was black. Second, because I was young. France has got this thing about the gray hair. You know, they love this experience to, you know, like anyway, and then I, I'm a woman, right? So, and I'm a cisgender woman. So that's the thing. So those three key things when here, oh, and the fourth thing I'm French. And I say this is last because everybody would doubt the fact that I was French. Everybody would ask me, but where are you from? You know, and I'll be like, oh, I'm from, you know, I was born in Paris, no big deal, but where are your parents from? And then you'll be like, oh, I'm a, uh, my mom is from Guadeloupe, my dad is from Martinique. And then people would be like, oh, Right, but before saying Guadeloupe and Martinique, which is associated with positive stereotypes, there would be the doubt people would unnecessarily know, and that means that they were getting ready to put me in a box which was less than positive. Yes, when actually in the UK, it didn't matter whether I was Caribbean, blah blah blah. I was actually French. Uh, first, I was French, then black, maybe. Actually, no, I was French, and yet, yeah, yeah, I was French, and then after that, the older rest young black woman was all on the same level. The fact that I was French or I am French was a massive privilege, you know, massive privilege. So it really shifted the perspective. And that's where you start realizing when you have someone external who is really validating your identity, that also enables you to show up with power. You see what I mean? But when you've got it and you live in an ecosystem where actually you are pushed down, then you can't do that. Do you see what I mean? You can't see the wings. You can't fly. You can't feel free. And that's what I got when I came to London. I was like, I feel free here. I know I can. I had relaxed hair. I was like, <laughs> the relaxes <laughs> way to shift very fast. I did a big shop, like all impulsive, all impulsively, you know? And that was beautiful. It's amazing to hear you talk about the UK like that and think it, it's really important distinction because when you live in a place and what people think about it and the way people come in be like no this is different like you don't understand how good you've got it you don't understand the differences in society you can easily admit all of that you can easily just be like oh it's so bad or this is not right this and you go into that way of thinking but you come in here because the way that you described the UK for example coming into London is very much similar to how other people might have described Paris. But the difference is, they're, on the out, they're outside looking in. 
as opposed to being able to recognize, no, this is the real, this is the reality, this is what you're currently actually navigating. And when you now came here with with all of that, with that approach, I mean, when you look at the client and the work you've been able to do over the last, what, 16 to 18 years, it's incredible. Like the roster of, of clients you've been able to work with, the advancement you've been able to, an impact you've been able to have actually in different spaces and places. So it's, that's why when you, when you want to ask you that question around, would you take after your mom and your dad? In my head, I was thinking it's your mom because the way you described your mom when she came to Paris, for me, very much reminds me of how you arrived in London and you went for it. And I agree with you. The only thing, the only difference is that if I was really taking after my mom, I wouldn't be able to have a business. <laughs> because my mom doesn't reflect that much. She's in the doing. Do you see what I mean? And I think that my business is successful because I can really reflect that. Spirit. My dad never had a business for his own, but he has the wisdom, you know, of life, I believe. Uh, my dad, both of my parents didn't really go to school. You know, that my mom and dad had to leave early from school to support, you know, to help. Because my dad was the last one in the family. He had to help his, uh, his nan, his, his mom, sorry. Uh, because all the other children left. My mom was the first one. She had, uh, you know, siblings. She had to provide, you know, help my nan provide. So all of that experience is from life. And I think, you know, there's some, again, the tension. My mom is a spender. Oh my God. As soon as she's got money, she's just like, the night. So that freedom she experiences through that. But then my dad is a plumber. And I believe that when you, and you need to have both in life, isn't it? But I do think that my, I couldn't, yeah, if I was to only, leading to my mom's energy and way of doing things, I wouldn't be able to have a business. But with my dad, I can because then I'm really good in terms of, you know, money management, uh, like people, so when they look at my business, they're like, what? And you, and also I do everything, but my mom energy helps me to do everything by myself. When of course my profit is good because I don't have overhead and things like this. Do you see what I mean? So is that, again, beautiful tension that I'm able to, I think it's notice, a, it's a, it's a polarity. you know, and tap into. But that comes with consciousness. Yeah. And, but that comes with consciousness and self-awareness. You see what I mean? Like you've got to be wanting and willing to look for things. And I think this is the piece also. When you leave your country or, you you know, you have like a change in your life, I think you've got naturally, um, maybe, I think it's natural, but again, different people, different experiences. For me, it was natural to go into a phase of introspection. What do I really want to, you know, in life? What does, who is Vanessa Velo? You know, because without your support system, who are you? Uh, without the guidance of your parents, without their money, who are you? To serve me? I started in this culture. I used to earn 50 pounds a week, 50 pounds a week working in a hotel. You see what I mean? I mean, that was slavery, really, because even 17 years ago, that was slavery. But they gave me shelter. So I was always able, even though times were hard, I was always able to see the way forward in thinking, oh, there is a, I'm comfortable. I can, do I, yeah, exactly. Do I have shelter? Can I think? Can I strategize somewhat? What do I want to do? Do you see what I mean? I was able to actually, like when they go, like build something, you know, even if it's what's in my head to start with. And then, you know, to start uh, having that, I guess not purpose, but that way forward of zero to one, one to three, one, two, 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 three, you know, that journey of life. I understood that very simply. And I think it's because my parents came from another environment to Paris also, you know? If you used to get practical, how would you go from earning 50 pounds a week to working in the corporate spaces 
even before you start your business that you have worked in? Like, what is it that pushes you forward apart from the mindset that you've already talked about? That be like, you know what? I can achieve what I'm dreaming about. And therefore I took this step, this step, this step to get there. Bearing in mind that everyone's journey is always completely different. I recognize that fact. But I'm curious, what is it that allowed you to be able to navigate from where you were to where you, from where you started out when you came to the UK to where you got to in the corporate world? Uh, first of all, I didn't dream. So you said the word dream. I said finding a way forward. For me, there is two different, there is a difference there. And I know that those are just wording, but there is a difference. Very, for me, I was, I was not allowing myself to dream because being a middle child, I detest rejection. So I was always thinking, what if I fail? If I dream and I go for it and actually I don't succeed, I will not be able to manage that. So I never dreamed, dreamt about things, but I was always just thinking about this is where I was always very proud of my current situation. That is something. I think that a lot of people in this world as well, we go so fast, we forget that actually I've enjoyed my 17 years in the UK. I recollect, I can see, and you know, great moments of each of those years. Do you see what I mean? Because I really actively uh, were allowing myself to rejoice. At the time I was religious, but not basically from a religious perspective, but from this idea of seeing that what I have and I had I found I found I think a lot of them um, I don't know what the word is but um I was really happy to to look around and say I did that do you see what I mean like, it was again pride I guess I was really proud of myself at every single even when I was earning the 50 pounds because I was really at the time and I remember at the time I was telling myself you live in a country by yourself listen the first time I worked in that hotel I took the phone at reception I think it was somebody American on the other side. They spoke. I looked at the thing and I just put it back down because I was thinking this was this. And my first thought was, this is a mistake. You don't even understand what they're talking to you about. And you, just, you moved your life. And then I had to be like, okay, this is a hurdle that we need to overcome. And I focused the way forward in that moment for me. And that what I, I want to explain the difference between dreaming and way forward. I found a hurdle. I found a challenge. I was focusing on that. How do I get over this? Then when you start actually amassing, you know, those little wins of, okay, the next phone call, how do I show up? If I don't understand, what do I say? Then the next phone call, one thing at a time, and I'm very good at that, one thing at a time. And you would have asked me 17 years ago, even four years ago, um, two years ago, that if I would be here today in this current position, having my business, blah, 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 I'd be like, no. Because I, it was a fluke. I thought I was... I don't know, taking some time off. And I'd be like, that'd be cute to have your own business. I don't know why I thought them, but anyway, this is what I mean. So I didn't plan. I don't plan ahead like this. I don't dream long term. I don't allow myself to anyway, because I don't want to be disappointed, you know? Uh, but if I was to give advice to people, it's focus on one thing at a time. I understand, I don't, do a SWOT. I used to love a SWOT, you know, or a SWOT, you know, straight witnesses or barriers, opportunities, and threats. I used to love that. I, I used to love that because, and also having a fantastic understanding of what can I control. That I used to love as well. And being able to um, live the rubbish where it belonged. Do you see what I mean? 
So that energy, I was always some that I've, the concept of energy has always been something that fascinates me. And because I know I have a lot of energy, and that's thanks to my mom actually, because I could see my mom go out there, and my mom, my goodness, she would gather. You know, like when she speaks, she speaks in loud anywhere, but she's so joyful that people come to her. She's like a magnet, and then I would see her at home completely on on her knees. You know, like. And she, you know, she was a, she was a mom of three, blah blah blah, working and things like that. But I was just like, wow! And she didn't know how to manage the highs and the lows of energy, you see what I mean? And she, I think she struggled to rejuvenate. When now, when when I saw that again, you have to learn from your environment, from your context. I think you have to be be humble as well to say, look, I don't know it all, and I want to learn, I want to do better, whatever better means in that moment. And I had no choice because otherwise I would have been with the wrong crowd. You know, it's very easy when you're alone. Nobody tells you you can't do that. You know, to meet people and and get influenced by them. You know, I always felt that I needed to have a very strong core. You know, and I think that that I think a lot of people that I coach actually in my practice don't know what their core is. And it's almost as if they lost themselves somehow, or they've never found themselves. Vanessa Bello knew a long time ago, maybe because of the 12 fingers, I don't know. But I know who I am very clearly, and I know who I'm not as well, which helps. Does. You yeah. see what I mean? Because that doesn't make you arrogant, I think. That's right. Even, even when you said that, when you came to the UK and you took time to be introspective, and you're like, most people generally, when they move to the country, that's what they do. In my head, I was like, no, they don't. That it's very it's very easy for people to get swept up in the crowd and the environment around them. So for me, that's actually a distinction that you were able to make, and which is even why you can speak to you can see it in your clients. You can understand where they are and where they're navigating because you've had to go through your own journey and you knew what worked for you. And yes, you're not telling them what to do. You, you bring those questions out, but you knew the right questions that you had to ask yourself to be able to navigate. And there's something that you've you just touched on, which I am curious about. If you don't dream and you're very much around one thing at a time, moving the way forward, how do you measure like success? I use a quote by Maya Angelou. Success is lacking yourself, lacking what you do and how you do it. There's two things. I discovered that quote a few years back, but before that, for me, success I mean, you get your mantras and your things from, uh, you know, anywhere. So Sister Act 2, <laughs> I love that movie. And uh, listen, don't judge hey, me. I that's one of my judged. favorite films. I'm not judging. Trust me. One of my favorites. So. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in the movie, at some point, you know, then when there is a turning point, which is when she realizes there could be a choral, uh, uh, um, a choir, uh, I was going to say depression, a choir. And then at some point, she, they, they're like, okay, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. You see what I mean? And then they go, and then somebody starts, two of them start singing, and that's the turning point of that greatness. And that has always been one of my favorite movies. And one of my mantras is also therefore, and at the time, that was what really led my success. When, you know, I was, um, uh, yeah, when I didn't have my business, etc which was, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. And for me, that paying attention was, in order for you to pay attention to, I mean, it made sense to me that if I needed to pay attention outside or externally, I needed to really also pay attention to what was inside of me, to see what I mean. And uh, I guess that's what led my introspection. And for me, when I was able to do that, things just got aligned and I was finding and listening and, and maybe, yeah, finding, a, attracting, I don't know, 
opportunities and great con- and a, an opportunity or success could have been at the time a fantastic conversation that got me to think somehow just differently you know and that expanded my consciousness that all of those things were i think for me part of it now it's still you know if you want to be somebody for the good some of you you better wake up and pay attention but what really drives me much more now in terms of success is not the money because i think it's not the money it's not the amount of property it's not the amount of people i know any of that it's more about yeah you know success is like lacking yourself what you do and how you do it do i feel can i look at myself in the mirror in my practice right or being a dna consultant a brand consultant and uh, an executive coach can I look at myself in the mirror and feel aligned and proud of what I've put, I've put out there? That's the number one question. What I do, liking what I do, do I enjoy? Is it a dread? Do I do this by force or do I do this because I feel rejuvenated by engaging with people? Do you see what I mean? And finding solution and really seeding those equity, uh, you know, seeds. And how I do it, do I put the hours in? Do I study? Do I keep and entertain my growth mindset? Those are the sneaky things that really matter to me. And in liking what I do, there's also the element about my 360. My work is not everything anymore. I have a family, you know, I don't have children, but I've got a fantastic dog called Purple and a beautiful boyfriend. And that's my support system. Do I spend enough time? Liking what I do is also spending time with them. Do you see what I mean? Enabling myself to have quality time. So that's, for me, that's what success is about. This idea of success of number of followers online, money, all of those things, for me, and he said to me, I make money. Number of followers, I never cared, but I don't. All of this is futile. All of this is material. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I define success. And that's how I tell my class also. I don't tell them that when I inspire them or they ask me, I'm also a mentor. So when they ask me, I tell them that. And it's uh, quite grounding, you know, it's quite happening. It's different. Is that then why? Why are you looking at me like this? I feel judged. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my, this is my thinking, this, this, is, this is my thinking look. <laughs> now for me, it's, as, you, cause as, you're, as you're talking, I go back to the conversation we had around joy. And you talked about the difference between joy and happiness. And as you were talking about what success is and isn't for you, that's what you took me back to. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh yeah, now I can see why there's a difference, which we can go into now, the difference between joy and happiness for you. So for those, obviously, who are not part of that conversation, how do you differentiate both of them? And why is it important to differentiate both of them? I think it's important because I say I choose joy. I think joy is much more intentional than happiness. Happiness is a state, it's a being, you know, it's a state of being. So you are happy or you are, uh, you know, sad or any type of thing that you want to add to that sentence, I am or, but joy for me, is something that I proactively and intentionally, two of my favorite words, choose every single day, because it's something that I believe we shall not take for granted. And that's something I think that we take a lot for granted. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's a lot of misery in, this, in our world. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot, a lot of uh, adversity. And I've encountered some. And um, actually, when I dis- really connected with this concept of choosing joy, it's when I, I had a fire in my flat. So all of a sudden, the same, really the same two months, I got 
homeless because I didn't have an, a house anymore. I was separating from my fiance, ex-fiance, 14 years of a relationship. And I was in a kind of precarious fixed term contract working situation. And it was, you know, it always happened in a series of three. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And again, I still didn't have the support system. I had friends, but I didn't have, you know, the periods where you can just go back and like, and my parents, they were like, we're coming. And I was like, I don't have anywhere to host you. And I don't know how long this is going to go. I've never had a fire in this country. I don't know how quick people are or not. So it was, and it happened in September, which means that Christmas was coming. Uh, so I had to really be, I had to choose. Like, I had this idea that I, you can't control how you show up. And of course, a lot of people tell you, you know, I love all those quotes and stuff, you know, but sometimes I'm thinking, well, it's when you are going through something that then having, you know, like in the quote, this is when you actually, you know, put it to into practice, from the theory to practice. And that's what I did. And every single day I would wake up and be like, today, we choose joy. And I would take a picture of me smiling, not being happy because my eyes were crying. Like I was not crying necessarily, but my eyes were sad. My eyes were tired, but I was smiling, choosing joy and sending a picture to my parents because I also wanted, for me, it was also a moment where I needed them to be proud of me, to be honest. And that get, got me to continue to keep going because I needed them to know everything that you've taught me, it's now, you know, and even to be honest, like, but then me coming to London, me being successful, blah, 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 that's proving. But it's when adversity strikes that you really show what you've learned. And for, I believe, and this is what, I, this is where, why I was really intentional also in sharing that with them and being like, we're good. The 12 fingers are coming to play. You know, the abundance mindset is here, even though, and I guess choosing joy is linked to the abundance, isn't it? That independent of your situation, joy is something that comes from within also. It's something that, that can radiate yourself, but just within you. You don't have to share it with others, but I chose to share it with my parents because I needed them not to worry. But other than that, I was keeping my job to myself and it was the little thing, you know? And this is when I actually uh, navigated a year later. That's when I started to find success according to, as I mentioned before, the quote of Maya Angelou. Because then I was like, I think I'm ready in my journey to practice that, you know? It's, that's, so it's what powerful. I, it's powerful. And I'm such a loss. I'm, I'm so aligned for me where it's like joy. Joy is internal. Joy is within your control. Joy is intentional. Whereas happiness, a lot of times it's it's external because a lot of things happen which are not always within your control and you have to choose how you react to it. And you having that this attitude of, you know what, even at some of the hardest, worst periods of my life, I'm going to choose to smile, even though there are still some sadness and tears there. But I think there are times where people are like, oh, for me to be joyful, everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be good. Everything has to be absolutely amazing. But you actually showing that, no, you part of you getting through the process and going through everything that you need to learn from it is choosing even in the midst of the storm to be joyful. And that for me, I think is such a great space to be in. Especially as you look forward to the, like what's coming up in front of us. I mean, the economy right now is, is, is rubbish. There's so many things going wrong. People are absolutely struggling. And it's like, it's easy to go into desperation, but even in this midst of being like, I'm choosing joy while going through this, it also brings clarity. That's one thing I found as well. Right. Because you know what? I mean, I agree 100%. And I think clarity is, uh, I love this word so much. 
And it's not used enough. You know, there's so many buzzwords in the in life, but clarity is not one of them. And I wish it was because you're right. I think when you choose the you focus on the way forward, you choose that, you know what to focus on. And again, in terms of energy, if I go back to what I mentioned before, in terms of energy, you don't waste a lot of very valuable energy on things you can't control as much, especially when you have chosen to shop in a certain way. You know, my friends and stuff, they would tell me, even my parents, they were like, but are you okay in your head? <laughs> you know, like, are you really, truly okay? And I was just like, I don't understand where this question is coming from. And I was just like, they were, but my belief of the Trudy job was so powerful that I was just like, I am actually, because you know what? I discovered through this experience that I was not much, I love 95%, 90 to 95% of my belonging. And this was all of my, if you think about it, all of my, so that's 2018. I came to this country in 2005. That's 90 to 95% of my life in the UK. I think about this, this is making me, this was not in the garage or the loft of my parents. It was in my flat. I mean, it was truly because it's no more. And I think I had to show up in that way because for me, otherwise that was an erasure. Like, you know, if you look at it, I think just, um, the word is, is failing me, but if I just looked at the fact, I was like, mm, I don't have any of those receipts now. You know, things that I got to remind me of things, it better stick here, you know, because I don't have them. And it's, yeah, it's like you're a part of your life just disappeared, you know, and you're, and, and at the same time, you're losing your long-standing relationship, long-lasting relationship. Work-wise with brief stability theory is up and down. You don't really know what's going to happen. And I was not used to that feeling because for me, it's about can I provide for myself, etc. And yes, so it was a lot of emotions, but at the same time, I think, you know, you find your way. I think you find your way. If you really want to, you find your way. I'm blessed also. Look, I don't have, I think any, uh, medical conditions, you know, I can't find clarity. That's another thing also. And I think that's a caveat. Some people can't, not because they don't want to, but I don't have anything kind of stopping me from doing it. And that's another thing when you're capable, then do. Because that's another thing I think in our lives where a lot of us, I think, don't don't own up to our own potential. Because sometimes we never ask ourselves what our potential is. We don't have people around us to let us know actually what they see our potential is. And I had people, you know, who and then understood, okay, girl, stay within your trip of uh, choosing joy. But within that, did you can you seek about boom boom? You know, because I was craving the stretch. Not dreaming still, but I was craving that stretch. I need to focus. And this is when I decided, listen, three weeks after my fire, and I remember three weeks after my fire, I was on the first client who gave me a gig at, as a freelancer was Levi's. They met me at a, at a conference uh, that I gave on sustainability in Copenhagen back in 2017, and they ripped off my passion, whatever. And then they invited me for me to do some, um, to, to be a keynote speaker at the Gender Equity Summit, first Gender Equity Summit that they organized in Belgium in the HQ. And so I did that. That went really well. And then the year, the year after, so that was 2017, the year after, they invited me to be the MC of two days of that event, same event. I would do some sessions and be the MC as well, the, the facilitator, presenter, blah, blah. Massive thing, massive. Three weeks prior, I had this massive uh, fire. And I'm like, how do I show up? Like, you know, nobody could tell me anything. Number one, nobody could, my friends were like, you need to cancel. You know, they were like, you need to cancel, you can't go. And I was like, 
you don't know me. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm going. And I'll show up. You know, and I think people say show up and show out. I would show up and show out because I needed it. That's the introspection piece also. You know what you need. You feel it. And that voice tells you, go and get it, girl, because that's what you need. I needed to feel validity. I needed to know that despite all of this, I could still do the job. Do you see what I mean? I could, and that was a big stretch because I was working in corporation and I that as freelancing. And uh, when I said action on the second day, by the way, uh, the fire that people were just like, what? What do you mean? Because that's not the vibe that they got from me, desperation, all of this. But I was talking actually funny enough about everyday leadership on the second day. So no pun intended. And I was saying, you know, like I was telling them that it's it, you can uh, definitely adversity you know, being a leader is also showing up in moments of adversity. You know, it's always showing up in moments of adversity. It's about influence that you can have on others, but it starts with you. And when I, and I said, and by the way, when I'm talking about to you about, about adversity, this is my situation right now. When I'm going back, I'm going, I was in a hotel in Belgium. I was going back to a hotel and they just looked at me and I was like, I needed to prove the point. So then they understood and the point, they got it. And this is the thing, you see what I mean? Like we can overturn quite a lot of things we just need to know what to invest our energy in and you, you know? need to listen because you made that distinction right now that you knew what it was you wanted and you listened to what it was that your your mind your body your soul was telling you to do despite people around you like you need to counsel i think a lot of times we can let the voices of other people be so loud that we listen to them rather than listen to ourselves. And then that's what we tend to go around. You lean in and listen to yourself. And that's quite critical. Yeah. 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 And, and I've always do that to be honest with you, like, or at least 90% of the time. And then, but also accurate the people I've got around me also. That's another thing. You know, as you said, it's easy when you come to a new place, it's easy to get, you know, new steps to steer then and influence by, by foolishness. I don't allow that, you know, like I really, even though I'm an extrovert, you know, at least I show up that way. I love being by myself or with a very small amount of people around me because again, that's energy. I don't like to be disturbed, you know, like by a lot of influences I find it quite draining because I can't find a way forward the 0 to 1 1 to 2 to 3 is very difficult if I do it in a work capacity it's very different I don't know why I can turn and tune into that but when it's personal it's very distracting to me yeah it's very distracting to me so yeah I, I guess you've got to know yourself and do that work on yourself I think and as coaches that's our responsibility this, I really believe so I see so many coaches bringing to the table their own issues and I'm thinking you're coaching somebody else this is not therapy for you you know and I think that's the piece like we have to really have a responsibility in understanding who we are what our way forward is and what questions we are willing to ask ourselves so then we can inspire others to ask themselves, you know? That, that speaks to the authenticity piece, which I think is critical. Like you doing that inner work on you rather than you showing up and you're bringing your own, your own stuff into conversations with clients. I'm like, it's just, it's not healthy. It just makes, it makes the other person worse. I and mean, you leave that space and thinking even worse about yourself as well. So I am, I am definitely with you on exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. This podcast is sponsored by Mindset Shift, a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out, not from the outside in. We work one-on-one -on -one with senior leaders in organizations. We work directly with HR and other parts of organizations to help you create an authentic culture 
where your words and your values and your actions all align. We help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that we all experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one coaching this year. If that's something that you're interested in, if you want to work with a coach who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional, to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level, send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to the website www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Now let's get back into today's episode. How do you find leadership? Leadership is about having a great vision. Now again, we are dif- differentiating vision to dream because they're two different things. But it's about having a great vision, understanding the direction of travel and setting maybe the mood of the direction of travel to achieve that vision and supporting people around you. First, supporting yourself and then supporting people around you. That's what I would do. I would defi- That's how I would find leadership. It's about setting a vision, understanding the direction of travel, and then supporting others. I didn't mention about, I didn't talk about influencing and all of this because for me, that comes with it anyway. But I think those are the, the key things. If you can have vision, that set the direction of travel. But the most important to me though, in leadership is setting the mood on how we get there. You see what I mean? The energy. And I think a lot of leaders don't understand. This is, I guess, what I, I have a job in general, also as an executive coach. I think a lot of leaders don't, or executives even, lose that they don't have in their comprehension that the mood, how you get people there is very important. And in those times, those testing times, it's even more important than everything else in a way. Do you see what I mean? It's how you make people feel. I really believe so. How do you make them feel, you know, safe to then enable innovation, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Love that. So that's how I would define leadership. I hope I found <laughs> <laughs> You pass with flying colors. <laughs> I guess my, my last question would be with everything that you achieved from the move to all the amazing organizations you worked with to own your own business, to navigate in some hard and difficult times and period. What's that thing that you look back on and you're most proud of? So many things, to be honest, so many things. But there's one thing that has changed my career. There's two things. Can I say two? Just booking the trends a bit. So there's two things that changed my career. The first thing changed my outlook on what my career could be. And the second thing changed my career. So the first thing, I was an intern. And that would actually, I don't know if you've got young people in your audience, but if the audience is not that young, like I eat entry level, but you know people who are entry level share that story because I, I teach in colleges and universities and I talk about it often. I was an intern at the time, but I had already two master's degrees because I'm French, right? So in France, you've got this elitist state. So I came to the UK. Uh, I had already, I didn't think, I didn't understand this idea of graduate. I thought that you needed to have finished your full studies when actually, no, you needed just to have a bachelor, which I did have. Anyway, I was an intern. When I understood that, I started to be, I, I was like, the world is my oyster. This is the time to work hard, put my head down and work hard. I, and I found solutions. I identified some issues 
and I find some solutions. I didn't do it by myself. I went to speak at Charmed, not using my asset, but just my wit. I went to a Charm, a, a very, uh, like a, a guru in some data. I was an analyst at the time. So I went to, to Charm, this person, and I really was, uh, you know, I, helped, I, I asked him for his help to help me define something that was quite transformative, actually, for the department I was working in in terms of automation. I did that because I wanted to amass receipts. I didn't know that, I, I'm sorry, I knew that I needed to have something, you know, in my on my back to be like, yes, yeah, she knows what she's talking about. And as an intern, that's very hard to do. But you've, I had to figure something out, so I did. And uh, then I became known for that, oh, Vanessa is the girl that has enabled us to really look into automation because she used to spend three days doing one report, she does it now in one hour. And then, of course, and I started to, I basically discovered the cause of the corporate life, which even though I did a business school, you don't really get to know fully, but I discovered them and I listened. Then there was a restructure in the department and uh, the head, head of department said, we would be looking for two grads, you know, full-time employees. We we're going to hire if you know anyone. And I said, but you really if you know anyone. I'm here. I was an intern. My contract was ending in six months because I was on the FTC. So I said, but I'm here. I didn't really rehearse or anything. And they, the guy said, his name is Ian Mitchell. I will remember his name. And that was 16 years ago. Ian Mitchell. Ian said, if you want to speak to me and you have ideas come okay my door is open i said you said you're not going to tell me twice i didn't realize that english people when they said that they don't really mean it but hey i just took my my shot i went to the office and i started to speak and i said look you don't know really who i am but i'm the girl who actually do you remember how long it used to take because he was so high so senior he didn't really care about the report i said i'm the girl who did that that you can ask this person this person this person in the department they will tell me he said uh, okay he said then why are you here and i said because i i can see that you're looking for two two grads and i have a, a bachelor degree and i'm i have two master's degrees i'm just doing this as a you know at my end of the of the studies placement i didn't realize that you only needed somebody with a bachelor and I said that we have to apply as a grad. Then he said, okay, we don't really break interns contract though. We need interns. We don't really break their contract. So what do you expect? I said, look, you said that your door was open and if I had an idea, I've been here for six months. I've already, I think this delivered some things. And if anything, I believe in what we can do here. I have a lot of ideas. So do you anything I'm asking you is, could you speak to a child? You say you don't do, that doesn't mean anything to me. We don't do. Ask the question, and if you don't, then you come back to me. He said, okay, fine. He didn't know me that when, as I said, I told him. Maybe I said, I used to say hi to him and that's it. Then he went. Three weeks later, I still heard nothing. I went back to him to, to see him and I said, I would like to say that um, I do not want to stay anyway because I do not understand how you deal and you know with your employees. I don't appreciate the fact that you didn't tell me anything. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I asked you a question three weeks ago and you said that there would be a new restructure, blah, blah, blah. And it's taking you three weeks and nobody has come back to me. That means that I didn't get the job, but you could have communicated. I think that's really poor on your part. And I, I think I told him, I said, I think that's poor management. I didn't know the concept of leadership at the time. I said, I think it's really poor management. And then anyway, he told me, Vanessa, a child didn't contact you. I was like, no, he's like, you got the job, girl. And I was like, oh my God, that changed my outlook because I, my heart was beating very fast, very fast in 
both of those conversations, me positioning myself and second, telling him off because I didn't get, I, it's not that I didn't get the job, I didn't know. My heart was beating fast, but I, when I talked before about that feeling of, of discomfort or feeling outside of your comfort zone, but still doing it because you can see that this is the way forward. That's what I listened to then. And I got the opportunity, they broke my contract. I became a full-time employee. I stayed for four years. I got promoted every single year. Boom, boom, boom. That really changed my outlook of girl. You got to go and get it, right? So I channeled my mom. Now, second story, I was asked to do Levi's. Uh, that was the first instance, 2017 at the end of that. And I said, no, the lady had to work from Michelle to convince me for two months to say, can you please come? Because at the time I was always working for an agency. I never saw myself saying I, you know how in agencies we say we, we believe that boom, 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 we, we, we. And I never said I, and because I had, and still to a degree now, but I had imposter syndrome. Why would, and I was always asking myself, why would somebody care about my I? Why would, do you see what I mean? Even though I had the confidence and things, I was always still diminishing it and not stepping fully into my life. And um, she worked on me for two months. We got there in the end. She said, all I want you to do is to come and tell your story. And I spoke about my career to date. I was of, of the age of 32 at the time, uh, which I thought was nothing, but it seemed that it mattered to people. There was 120 women in front of me. And I had that fear that... I won't not be able to inf to inspire maybe the youngsters, 20-something, but not women who are, you know, 50 years old. And I had, had David Mahine and I still kid. My story is not, it's nothing special. It's just me. I had 120 women at the end of my 45 minutes who rose and clapped and gave me a standing ovation. And I remember this day forever. Sorry if I get emotional. But that changed my life because I realized that my eye matters okay my eye really matters and but somebody had to believe in me more than i believed in myself fast forward ian mitchell never forgetting his name saw me on linkedin i popped up in his stories or something he didn't need it that much and then he was looking for a new job and he saw me with something popped up and he sent me a message and he said all those years back that black girl came to my office and told me off that is I knew you would do so well. You see what I mean? And I think I'm proud of both of those moments because even though I had all of the doubts in the world, I'm here today because of those also moments in my career that has really created momentum. But first and foremost in me, do you see what I mean? And I think if it's a message of hope, I don't know for others, believe in yourself and do the work within yourself. All of the receipts that you get externally they only matter if they start from within first. You see what I mean? So I'm the most proud of so much, but of those two, because they've been great, a great influence on the rest of my life. And my life is not over, hopefully. But if I, and I always say this, if my life was over tomorrow, I am grateful. I had a fantastic ride. You see what I mean? I really do. I really did. And during my time, I'm really invested in, in inspiring others, in bringing other people up yeah i'm just very ha i'm just very joyful but actually you know what i'm really happy so listen to you listen listen to you listen to you share those those stories it's so it's powerful it's the powerful stories and they're so real and one i appreciate you actually um sharing that but two i appreciate you sharing your light and stepping into your light because i think a lot of times we need people to remind us of what it looks like when we step into the fullness of who we are 
who we've been called to be into our greatness and we don't let our external environment or let other people kind of dim that. It's leading to the joy. It's been stepping into the happiness. Um, it's just doing both, but more importantly than not, just being intentional. And that's something that from even before I knew and I spoke to Vanessa, the first conversation I had was like, there's something about Vanessa that I saw years ago, way back. And I was like, for years I wanted to speak to you because I came across your content. I was like, you were just full of so much character, showing up, sharing. But for me, everything that you always did and said was really authentic. I mean, it was, and that for me always, always resonated even from without necessarily meeting you. And then when we met, we talked, I was like, yes. This is my people, like, this is just, <laughs> this is someone that I know I'm going to enjoy, have so much fun with just being with and spending time with. And every single time that's happened, it's always been an absolute pleasure. So I appreciate you. Um, the gems you've dropped today have been absolutely amazing. I'm sure people are going to learn so much just listening to some of the nuggets in your story. And like I said, there's so much more to come. Like, there's so much more to come. There's so much more that you're going after. One step at a time, one thing at a time, you're focusing on that way forward, but it's just great to be able to witness and appreciate you so much for coming in today. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. And as I said, it's your voice. <laughs> You've got this power of listening to this. So you have a great, you listen very well. And I tune into my emotions anyway, but today I'm not in the mood. It's not that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a bitch bash mood at the moment. I've got so much to do. But it was, I appreciate actually the fact that you allowed me as well to, you created that space for me, you know, to enable me to narrate, to, I said narrate, but actually to explore. It's not even a narration. It's more exploring and connecting, actually, things that I know very much so, but sometimes I don't express as much. Do you see what I mean? And I think the authenticity is very important to me. This is why when I am silent, like online at the moment, I'm quite silent. It's because I am in a moment of, I don't think that, you know, and that may be also for some, some people, do the work within you. I don't think that we need to hear of but there's so many voices all the time, you know, the power of posing. But for me, because I'm not posing, I'm, I'm, I'm working a lot and doing great things. But it's the fact, you know, we don't have to, the intention of being like, I'm here, but I, I, I'm here only because I want to be. I'm not here because I feel that I'm forced to be. Do you see what I mean? It's, I think it's, it's a beautiful thought and that comes with a lot of, uh, maybe trust in the process potentially. And yes, as I'm reflecting on my 13, my past 39 years and which I've done in like an hour and a bit now, it's, uh, it makes sense to me. Do you see what I mean? Trusting in the process and trusting in ourselves. That's the important piece. Love that. This is everyday leadership. And we will see you all next week. All the information around Vanessa, her website, LinkedIn, ways to get from ways to work with the amazing person you just heard of the last hour will be absolutely available to everyone. So you can tap into more of her world and the greatness that she's bringing. See you all next week. While well, you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Well, it's never just one person and it's definitely not me. I think what any kind of HR and talent or 
people leader will tell you is you can be the most amazing uh, HR leader with the best ideas. And if you don't get your senior leadership uh, to buy into them, it doesn't matter. So it all starts at the top. So I've been really, really lucky that I've worked with some amazing CEOs and some amazing founders. I've worked twice with um, both the COO at DigitalOcean and now managing partner in here at M13, and he's played a, an extraordinary role in creating this great culture and creates a situation. But it's always the CEO and the founders, and I'm so blessed to work with two amazing founding partners, Carter and Courtney Reem, at M13, which really kind of lay the foundation for everything.